0: is it possible for us to reconcile the idea of a loving god with a global pandemic if god is good why would he allow the coronavirus my name is aaron champ welcome to filter hey guys you're listening to filter this is a podcast where we seek to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our chaotic world thank you so much for joining us today This episode is part three in a three-part series on the question, if God is good, why did he allow the coronavirus? Well, we looked at in previous episodes in part one and part two. In part one, we looked at uh, this question and considered it in context of um, what is considered the greater idea of, or the greater issue of the philosophical problem of evil. That being that we live in a world that has its problems, that has uh, pain, suffering, tragedy, and and malevolence, that being uh, natural catastrophes and also the uh, wickedness done by mankind to one another or to the world and so on. Uh, This is the problem of evil, and the problem of evil, as it is stated, is something that poses a challenge to theism very much. It's, It's quite a formidable challenge to theism, but it is also a challenge to every single worldview. Every worldview needs to account for the problem of pain, suffering, and evil in our world and provide some kind of an answer for it uh, for which we can build our lives and, and live well in a world that is still is suffering. And so that's what we looked at in, episode, or in part two of this three-part series is I looked at a couple of other worldviews. Uh, really what we did is we looked at the two families of worldviews, which was uh, pantheism, so the various pantheistic worldviews, looked at them just like as a group, and the second family of worldviews being uh, atheistic worldviews. And what I did in those is I looked at them and argued that they are insufficient to provide us with a, um, a, a good answer or a good basis for living in a world with pain and suffering. Uh, and in this episode, what we're doing is we're going to be looking at the Christian worldview response or the uh, theistic worldview response. Can there be, uh, or can there both exist, an omnipotent and omnibenevolent? Omnibole- that means, so an all-powerful and all-good God, and a world with suffering. We've seen how other families of worldviews, whether they're pantheistic or atheistic, generally give a no answer. So what we're going to do is see how the Christian worldview responds. So let me give you several responses. Uh, I'm going to specifically, I'm going to give you four, four responses from the Chris- Christian worldview to the problem of evil, and uh, included in that specifically the pandemic that we are, uh, that we are living through right now in the coronavirus. So point number one, first, the rebellion of humanity caused corruption in the fabric of creation. It's important that we understand what is the origin of evil in our world, because every worldview needs to account uh, or give an answer to that question. Uh, what is the not just the origin of the world, but what is the origin of the problem in the world? And so, if we're looking at this problem of, um, of pain, of suffering, tragedy, and malevolence, we must ask where did it come from? Does the Christian worldview state that it was built into what that you know it was designed into the system by God? The Christian worldview answer is no, it was the rebellion of humanity uh, that we read about in the book of Genesis that caused the corruption in the fabric of creation that rebellion was a moral rebellion whenever adam and eve in the garden they were living in a perfect paradise there was no uh, disease there was no suffering no pain it was a perfect paradise that god had created for uh, mankind to live in where he can have a relationship with them what happened was is they broke the one rule that god had put into place for them to live with Um, And in this act of rebellion, they introduced sin into the world. They introduced brokenness into the world because the creation asserted its own desire over the uh, will of the creator. And so what that did is it caused not just an issue in the souls of humanity by this, this moral action, But it caused corruption in the very fabric of the creation itself. And so what that means is is that this corruption infected not only our souls, which would account for evil, which would account for wickedness and malevolence in the world, but it also corrupted and infected the natural world. It brought about the brutality, catastrophe, and tragedy that we see happening to us through various natural disasters, cancers, diseases, and even pandemics, all of this was from God's good corruption being corrupted. Now, we might ask ourselves, well, was this a design flaw by God? That might be something you're thinking. If God is all-wise, if he is all-good, how could he have created a world that that could have gone wrong so badly? And so this leads us to point number two. God's love required the possibility of corruption entering the creation. That might be a little surprising, so just hang with me. God's love required the possibility of corruption entering the creation. Let me explain that. When God created the world, He made human beings. So the biblical worldview tells us that God created absolutely everything that we see in the uh, in the in the non living world and in the in uh, among the the living world. You know, so among just space and then the world of the animal kingdom, and then humans as well. That God created everything, and at the very pinnacle of his creation, the crown jewel of his creation was humanity, uh, men and women. But uh, whenever God created humanity, he endowed them with a special capacity that he gave to no other part of his uh, creation, which was the capacity for moral decisions, as I pointed out before. Whenever God created the world he, and he formed the Garden of Eden and he put Adam and Eve in that garden, um, they were not a, a living in naive innocence, so to say, although of course there was some innocence in their moral uh, neutrality, we could say, um, but he also gave them the freedom to choose between good and evil. He gave them with the freedom to choose between obedience to him or disobedience to him. He created human beings with the capacity for moral decisions, but with those moral decisions would come consequences. And so it is in um, Adam and Eve choosing to rebel against God that we see the consequences of their decisions being uh, death, being tragedy, malevolence, and uh, the uh, fabric of creation being corrupted by their choice. Now, once again, we might be asking, you might be thinking, okay, what is this a design flaw by god or if god is so good and if he is so infinitely wise and he is so great why couldn't he have made creatures without that moral capacity right why did he leave that door open couldn't have god made creatures without the capacity for moral decisions which would have opened up the door for things to go so wrong well the thing is that he did he did make creatures that don't have moral capacity and those are animals, right? Animals do not make moral decisions. Animals are uh, deterministic. And, and, and if you want to say it in such a way where they are uh, guided only not by uh, by will, uh, desire, rationality, and the ability to choose between right and wrong, they're only guided by stimuli, right? And they are guided by natural instincts and uh, and to a certain extent by their environment. God did create uh uh, creatures without moral capacity, without the re- the ability to choose between right and wrong, but here's the thing. He knew that having people, that humankind, to have that capacity, to have that free choice, would be so much better than to have just a world filled with determined beings. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Pets are wonderful. Pets are wonderful, right? I'm a dog person. I love, I have a little dog. I love my little dog. Crazy about her, right? But I also have children and my children have a far, far greater capacity for disobeying me, for driving me crazy, for frustrating me, for filling me with worry and and a whole host of other issues because my children have the moral capacity to obey me or disobey me, to listen to me or not listen or whatever else it is, right? But here's the thing: the love and the level of fulfillment that I get in my relationship with my uh with my crazy disobedient little kids they're not always disobedient they're very good kids but in spite of their disobedience the the relationship that I have with them pales in comparison the the relationship that I have with my dog it, it cannot even compare it does not even come. Close as much as I am a dog person and I love my dog, they are nowhere near one another. And you see, likewise, God, in his infinite love and wisdom, knew that having free creatures, having humanity that had the ability to choose between moral good and evil in other words, who had the ability to choose to love him with their obedience would be better than a world full of pets. So, God's love required that possibility of corruption entering the creation in his infinite wisdom. He must've known that the, that a world with human beings such as we are was worth it. Even with the possibility for things to go so badly, uh, which in his uh, infinite foreknowledge, he must've known and still determined that it was good to do so. And so here is the third point because we live in this world where it's fallen by human rebellion, it's the world that God knew would come through a free humanity. Since we find ourselves in this world, the third point, God's love provides us with the best foundation for discovering meaning and hope in suffering. God's love provides us with the best foundation for finding, discovering hope or meaning in suffering. The classic verse, place that we find us in, in the Bible, is in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, it says that um, for those who love God and are called according to His goodwill, it says that all things work together for their good. You've probably heard this verse um, many times before, and just in my paraphrase, that all things work together for good, for God's people. The beautiful thing about this verse is that it makes no qualification about the kinds of things. Well, It doesn't say that, well, only happy things work together for the good or only things that are according to our plans work together for the good. It's, Paul is, is, uh, is exhaustive in the phrase. He says, all things work together for good. Now, if Paul is correct here and if what we know about the goodness and what the Bible claims about the goodness and love of God is real, then what that means is is that we can have confidence that he only expresses his goodness towards us. In every pain that we endure, in every suffering that we go through, in every uh, hard season that we uh, have to endure, in every global pandemic, and in every time somebody offends us, hurts us, wrongs us, if we place our trust in what this verse claims and we Uh, have the sure grounding and confidence in the character of a God who is good and loving, then we can know that everything we experience is only his goodness. If he has sufficient reason for allowing suffering, then he is not unjust for allowing that suffering. We might not know the reason. We might not know the the sufficient reason uh, for God allowing suffering, but we do not necessarily need to know the reason to yet still trust that he has one. Consider it this way. Whenever a parent allows their child to receive a shot, uh, if the child is very young, they do not understand why their parent is allowing that sharp pain to come into their life at that moment. They cannot comprehend. I mean, heck, I can barely comprehend the science behind a shot or a vaccine, whatever else, much less a child. Um, and so in that moment they cannot understand and it might seem unjust to them it might seem unreasonable to them why their parent would allow that pain into their life but their parent in their greater wisdom knows that allowing this suffering into their life is for their good likewise if god has a sufficient reason for allowing suffering then he is not unjust for allowing that pain Victor Frankl the uh psychologist who was a uh, survivor of the Nazi Holocaust camps, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he wrote that the way that he got through that uh, excruciating trial, the way that he made it through that living hell, was by uh, setting his mind on a meaning to live for through the suffering. He argued that the only way that we, that any of us survive suffering of any kind was to discover a meaning behind it. And the theistic In a theistic worldview, especially the Christian worldview, gives us the most solid foundation for a confidence that behind every suffering and trial we go through, God has a good purpose for it. You might be asking, I can see that in small circumstances or small pains but does that really even include such brutalities and tragedies as we see in the world does it really even include the diseases and cancers that we see eating away at people's lives does it even include uh, violent assaults done from one person to another does it even include war and everything else the christian worldview answer is yes yes it does even include all these things For two reasons, the New Testament tells us. First, because we have a glorious future. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul is not trying to make light of the various tragedies and sufferings that you go through in your life right now by saying that they are light and momentary. What he is trying to say is is that the glory that we are going to experience in heaven one day is going to be so great and so magnificent and so infinite that by comparison, whenever we experience that, it will make whatever we seem in this lifetime, um, it will make it appear momentary and light. Not because it uh, was was nothing, but because that future glory will be so incomparably wonderful. We have a glorious future, the, the Bible tells us. The second thing that we learn from the Christian worldview and why God's love gives us a foundation for meaning and hope in suffering is because e- what the Bible says is that even our present struggles can play a role in leading us to greater hope. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5 verse verse 3 he says, And not only that, he says, But we boast in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. What this verse and the previous verse I read shows us, it's it's an astounding claim. One that I I didn't really notice until after years of reading these two verses of scripture is that Paul claims that the, that the afflictions and sufferings that we go through in this life, even now will in a sense add to or prepare us for that uh, infinite weight of glory or for that, Hope that is being poured into our hearts, that the afflictions themselves can actually play a role in the building up of, of our hope. Now, this does not just happen automatically, it happens whenever we, through our relationship with God, experience God's love being poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit, says, and then that filling us with hope. Now, before I move on to the last point, let me just say that being able to find in God's character, a foundation for meaning and hope, even in suffering, does not mean that we will always know the reason for a specific pain. Nevertheless, we can trust in God's mysterious providence. Um, in his book, Walking Through Twilight, the philosopher Douglas Grodhuis uh, chronicles a, a memoir of uh Being the caretaker for his wife as she experienced a very uh, aggressive form of dementia and all the pain and suffering that came along with it. And in that book, he wrote, Our ignorance, our ignorance of God's specific reason behind allowing certain pains, our ignorance does not mean the Bible advises intellectual capitulation because God does invite us to reason together with Him and to give a reason for the hope that we have. It is reasonable to suppose that the ways of an all-powerful and all-knowing God will sometimes be mysterious to us. Here's the last point. We can have such a confidence in the love and goodness of God despite anything we face because He also suffered under tragedy and malevolence. Here is where Christianity stands alone and unique among not just all other world religions, but among the three great monotheistic worldviews, that being Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. The three great monotheistic uh, worldviews where Christianity stands absolutely unique and beyond the other two is that Christianity alone claims that God became a man and endured what we experience Therefore, no other religion, including Judaism or Islam, can claim that their God understands our sufferings in the way that the Christian worldview can claim that God knows our sufferings. Because God became man in Jesus Christ and experienced the vulnerabilities that we face as human beings. All the vulnerabilities and the pains, the sufferings, The trials that we go through, God can identify with and empathize with each one of those. John Lennox beautifully wrote this. He said, Therefore, a Christian is not so much a person who has solved the problem of pain, suffering, and the coronavirus, but one who has come to love and trust a God who has himself suffered. Why would God become vulnerable? Why would God take on suffering himself? Why would he become breakable in the form of being a man? Because God had to become breakable so that he could not only experience the suffering of the world, so that he could not only experience the wickedness of the world, but so that he could be crushed for the corruption of the world. You see, what the Christian worldview tells us is that the brokenness and corruption of this world entered in. To the world through the rebellion of man, but that the only answer that we have for hope that things can be made right is through the work of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the invincible God being made vulnerable, the unbreakable God being made breakable, so that in his suffering on the cross, he could bear upon himself the weight of justice. For the corruption and evil that we face in the world. And so that tells us several things. Number one, what that tells us is that the justice we long for is real. As I pointed out in previous episodes, um, no other worldview, especially a pantheistic or atheistic worldview, can assure you that the justice you long for. Because we all long to see justice done whenever we witness the various, various malevolences and evil and wickedness that we see in our world. What the Christian worldview says is that the justice we long for is real. It is so real, in fact, that God took that justice so seriously. He took his own standard for justice so seriously that in order to bring redemption to the world, he didn't just sweep wickedness underneath the rug, but he took the punishment for it on himself. The justice we long for is real, However, it also tells us that the forgiveness we need is available because if we would examine ourselves truthfully, we know that we are somewhat complicit in the problem of the world. We have our sins and our rebellions and our our own acts or thoughts of wickedness as well. But what the Bible tells us, what the gospel tells us, is that the work of Jesus to be broken for the corruption of the world affirms the justice that we Uh, long for but also shows us that the forgiveness we need is available because he was crushed he was broken on our behalf in our place and lastly it tells us that the hope we crave is sure it is there and that when we place our hope in him because of the uh because he died and rose again from the grave that as sure it as the reality of his resurrection is our hope is sure pantheism atheism and no other of the monotheistic religions can offer you a relationship with the god who bled for you a god of magnificent love and even as we walk through a global pandemic as we walk through all the problem itself and all the problems related to covid 19 the best possible thing that you can do and the best worldview that can equip you to live through it and even thrive through it is the Christian worldview, which presents us with a God of magnificent love. There's a great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, and I love what he said here. And this is where I'll stop. He said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Let me encourage you to check out our show notes for highlights and resources uh, from this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider to share it with your friends, send it out to somebody that you know it will really help and uh, equip them. If, also, if you enjoyed it, would you consider liking it if you're watching this on YouTube or also subscribing, subscribing to us on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Subscribe, and if you would take the time to leave us a review on one of those platforms, we would really appreciate it. It really helps us to uh, get these messages and this message out to the world. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I hope that it helped you to find clarity in the chaos. Once again, I'm Aaron Champ, and you have been listening to Filter.